Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you already know you're in the right place. Let me just tell you what our buzz on the street today is. I promise not to sing. Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as bad as it's going to get. Anybody remember the parent trap where Haley Mills played twins? And I think Maureen O'Hara was her mother or her stepmother or somebody. 1961, man, am I dating myself. Let's talk about this. The digital world is impacting how automotive suppliers and manufacturers work together. What are they doing? They're designing products. They're designing systems. They're operating and they need to do it together in harmony. Hence the quote, let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, digital, think digital transformation. Think everything is changing. The collaboration they have maybe a good one, but now it has to extend across the entire automotive value chain. We're talking end customers. We're talking industries like high-tech that don't typically consider themselves to be part of the automotive family, if I can use that term. What's at stake here? Well, if everyone doesn't play well together in that growing digital sandbox, the OEM brand the supplier brand and customer loyalty are all at stake and you just don't want any of those to be in a problem situation. If you can't figure out what all this means, you got to stay tuned because I have three automotive experts who are going to help us figure this out. Before I start introducing them, let me just give you the lineup today. We're welcoming back Rick Varner, V-A-R-N-E-R. He is now the Senior Executive Partner for Gartner. Congratulations to Rick. We're welcoming back, well, why not, Otto Shell. He's on almost every show. He's a member of the Board of Directors responsible for industry solutions, digital transformation at the German-speaking SAP user group. That's D-S-A-G. E dot V dot. And he's the global SAP business architect at General Motors. Pl- pleased to have Otto back again. And joining out, the, joining, rounding out the panel is Bill Newman, William Newman, if you're being formal. He is a senior industry value advisor with SAP America. And now let's get started. Rick Varner sent me the following quote. Well, some people say that Abraham Lincoln said this, and some people say Peter Drucker said this. If I had to guess, I'd guess that Peter Drucker read about it in the books and the the stories about when Abraham Lincoln said it. But anyway, here's the quote. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Rick Varner, Gartner now. Welcome back. How are you, Rick? Hey, Bonnie. Pleasure to join you today. Yeah, the quote uh, is attributed to both of them. But you know what? Both Abe Lincoln and Peter Drucker, I guess, uh, in my view, they're both kind of practical optimists. And I think the quote is really timely for our auto sector and our conversation today. You know, uh, Bonnie, given all the changes in the industry from our um, global capacity adjustments that have been happening in the industry, this evolving 360 view of the business models, and, of course, some really major advances in digital tools, I think uh, this really continues to drive uncertainty for the future. But if you think uh, what Uncle Abe said, mm-hmm. I think you got it right. Don't worry about it. Don't try to predict it. There's more certainty and control and wonderful opportunity to simply go out and create it. So really exciting time. I think, you know, really each organization, automotive or otherwise, is is making daily choices about how they embrace these changes in the industry. 
And those that go out and embrace it strongly and firmly, I think, have a strong control where their future lies. So it's an exciting time. Rick, it is indeed an exciting time. I I often ask this question, since you haven't been on the show in a little while, a couple of months, I'll ask this question of you. What do you think Abraham Lincoln would say if he knew that you, Rick Varner, a very much present in the current and the future of automotive guy, was quoting him on a radio show heard all over the world via the Internet? What would he say? (laughs) I'm sure he would be honored, Bonnie. I'm certainly, but... uh... (laughs) It's my pleasure to quote him, and uh, let's hope that he's the one that uh, originated the quote. <laughs> we, we can only hope. We've had it before, and I think we're, <laughs> we're in the habit and the custom of attributing it to Abraham Lincoln. Thank you very much, Rick. Pleasure to have you. How's everything? Uh, you, you made the, the switch from Varco was your company to Gartner. When was that done? Yeah, we did that a couple months ago. Gartner's been a longstanding uh, provider of uh, capability to me and my role as CIO in different companies. And uh, there was an opportunity to join them as a mentor, advisor to colleagues of mine. So it's really been a fun gig talking to uh, folks at Fortune 50 companies. Say, look, here's what I would suggest you do. Here's the mistakes that I've made. So just having a great time uh, with Gardner. Great company. Glad, glad to know you landed and, and you're someplace that you're happy. That's great. And, and again, welcome back, Rick Varner. Now let's turn to Otto Shell. Uh, I, I read the script, Otto, in introducing you. So we have all of those credentials out there in cyberspace. But Otto has sent me a quote from Anonymous. Now, I don't have any credentials for Anonymous. And we don't usually take a quote from Anonymous. But this is such a darn good quote. I had to say okay to Otto. And here's the quote. The future belongs to the curious the ones who are not afraid to try it, explore it, poke at it, question it, and turn it inside out. Otto Shell, are you one of the curious? Is the future yours? Welcome back, Otto. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm very curious. You're very curious. I bet you are. Where did you find this quote? Because I looked it up. I searched and searched for somebody who knew who said it originally, and it's all, there are posters and T-shirts and flyers, and it's probably tattooed on people's arms or other body parts, but I couldn't find. So who do you think might have said it, Otto? Was it you? No, it's not me. It could have been for me, but I would have it much shorter, yeah? So we have to. There's no There's no other way. But actually, it was released. I found it um, somewhere in the Internet when I prepared, and it was really said anonymous. Maybe there's really somebody behind who didn't want to show up and is in a very serious position and is not is too shy to say who he is. I, I think you're right. So, Otto, let's apply it to our topic today. We're talking automotive. We're talking digital. We're talking suppliers, manufacturers, full value chain, everybody in between and on on the bookends, if you will, of that value chain. So how would they react if you stood on a podium somewhere and you said, this is Otto Shell. I'm telling you the future belongs to the curious. What would their reaction be as automotive folks? I'll just use that broad term. I can tell you the reaction I get every time I do this is very simple. Yeah, they are very shy in the audience, and everybody comes back after the session and claps on my shoulder and says, "You are right." Ah, so what are they I, supposed to be? What are they supposed to be curious about? It's about um, the entire environment. We are used to stay in competition, and I think. A lot of people, not only in our business, also in other businesses, are completely overwhelmed with the situation that they are now fully visible on the Internet of Things. So where we are used to hide and where we are used to say, okay, we have a one-to-one relation, 
uh, where we are used to have so-called hidden champions. Now, although they get really curious because they are visible. They are visible, as I said, in the Internet. They are visible 24.7, and they are shy in reacting. And I think one of the, and that's why I put this here as a quote, it's, it's, for me, it's a call to action to work together. It's not that somebody can survive alone. I think in the entire market, people need to learn to work together, need to learn to work with these new medias, to work with the new technology, to work in different business processes. And there's a lot of discussion outside, and then I finish for this quote, uh, what are the Americans doing? What are the Chinese doing? How is Europe acting? Yeah, they are all acting different because they were used in the past, but now it's acting in, in one step, and we have to think about it, and we have to try things, we have to explore them, and then we can say it's good or right, but talking about them does not help us. Very interesting. So my quote, my little song, I tried not to sing at the beginning, is appropriate then. Would you agree, Otto? Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we might turn that on its ear and say, thou should, thou must. It's time for everybody to get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Good? Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. I like it. By the way, to our listeners, Otto has wonderful techno music he plays in his, his tricked out car. And he sent me a sample of the techno music and I really rock to it, Otto. So thank you very much. And let's move on to our third panelist before I get in trouble here. It's William Newman. He lets us call him Bill, Senior Industry Value Advisor with SAP America. Bill's been around for quite a while, and he is now on the team that helps to sponsor and produce this show, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Bill has sent me a quote from a young woman, I can tell as far as her picture goes, named Amrita Sahasrabude. I'm sure I butchered that, but you can all look up Amrita, A-M-R-I-T-A, and something with a S-A-H-A-S-R-A-B-U-D-H-E, any permutation, I'm sure you'll find her. She is a digital social expert on how digital businesses are based on, here's a keyword, the collaborative operating models, and that's what we're talking about today vis-a-vis automotive, the collaborative operating models of the past in the new 4.0 era. She is also specifically a brand marketer with a passion for connecting the dots between online and offline. Her current credentials are she works on PetSmart's uh, national brand as a specialty retailer, and previously she worked on Aramark Parks and Destinations. Very, very interesting background. And she's a speaker at almost every major conference for the past five years on all kinds of digital marketing. Here is the quote, take a risk because what works today won't work tomorrow. But what worked yesterday may work again. Bill Newman, this is very profound. How have you been, Bill? It's great, Bonnie. It's good to be back with you, and a good morning to Rick and Otto as well. So, Bill, you're in a very hot part of the country, rumor has it. How? What's the temperature today? Yeah, well, today it's going to cool off. It's uh, in the Inland Empire here in Southern California. It's going to be a, uh, a modest 100 or 99 degrees Fahrenheit. So yesterday we peaked out. I think Palm Springs almost hit 130. It was pretty ridiculous, actually. I think pretty ridiculous is a very valid point there, Bill. So tell me, I'm sorry if I butchered the pronunciation of this woman's name, but she sounds like a guru. She's very young. She's all over the place. I I have a list here of all of the summits and conferences she's been speaking at since 2012 on digital marketing. So how does this relate to what we're talking about today, Bill? Take a risk because what works today won't work tomorrow, but what worked yesterday may work again. That is that a, a tautology, circular reasoning? 
Well, I think it is, and and I actually part of the reason I chose the quote was that Amrita's, you know, she is coming from that new age of of millennial and younger generation thinking. But I I think that there's a number of things that can be leveraged going back to traditional uh, value creation and business models in automotive where, you know, we have this really robust supply chain. It's just that we have to understand how we're going to work differently together um, with all of the the digital opportunities that lay in front of us. You know, McKinsey's, and I think uh, we mentioned this in a previous show, is is forecasting 1.5 trillion U.S. dollars in value creation from Content produced, marketed, resold, packaged, licensed, coming out of the, the digital car by 2030. So I think really the opportunity here is is to figure out who who's going to create who's going to create the content, who's going to drive the value, how's it going to be disseminated, and you know we have we have these networks in place, these more conventional networks in place between the automotive companies, the suppliers, the dealers, and even if you go into the tech and transport industries, which are, you know, really com- converging with automotive, you know, what what we view as a car today just isn't going to look anything probably like, you know, the new car of 2030, 2040. So I, I do believe that there's a real great opportunity to, to leverage what we have in place from yesterday, but we have to look through it with a brand new lens um, because, Obviously, some of the things that you do, and clearly some of the things that you do with you know, physical trade, where you have something you can touch, feel, and you can actually commercialize it, uh, it's just a—it's really a value-based business model creation that you're looking at when you're dealing with uh, digital um, digital assets. So, there, there I think is the real um, there I think is the real opportunity, and it's also the thing that. Um, has people scratching their head a little bit, trying to figure it out. So, and everybody, to Otto's point, everybody's trying to go at it a slightly different way. But at some point, you know, we do have to come together to um, to commercialize and, and standardize. But um, we'll talk about that on this show. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we will. Now you you're reminding me. I should have picked a different song quote for my opening instead of "Let's Get Together." It should be "Come Together Right Now." I was Isn't that for a, it? Right. That was yeah. I'm sorry. That's for you. Yeah. It was. Wasn't? I'm always thinking. Wasn't that the Beatles? Isn't that the Beatles? Come together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My goodness. Yes. On that dusty road, I see them crossing the street in all their costumes. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you very much. Rick Varner, we're going to circle back to you and ask you a personal question, but you know what I'm going to ask. What's in your cup today, Rick? What are you drinking? If it's interesting, and if not, what are you planning to drink to celebrate the show later in the day? And where are you calling from today, Rick? (laughs) Hey, Bonnie. I'm calling from Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, as we know, it is it is my favorite time of year. I love the summertime, and I love to get up early, just before the sun comes up, and just watch that whole glorious day begin. And I tell you what, there's nothing like a cup of nice black coffee to kick off the day and kind of sustain me through the day. But um, So a cup of coffee, cheers, uh, we're in it, and all revved up here. So tell me something. Is there a brand? Is there a flavor? Did you do it on and make it on an espresso with a pod? Did you brew it from in a French press? Come on, Rick. I'm I'm very curious. You know that. <laughs> Little more information. Humor well, me. I'll throw a shout out to uh, Keurig. Uh, my wife and I have been enjoying Keurig, but we our little variation on this is that we've been going with the disposable or the the the, the decomposable Keurig cups. So we're trying to do our part for the environment, if you will instead of scraping out the coffee grounds from little plastic things. So uh, I have to say it's a Costco brand, but we're enjoying it, and it gets the job done. 
Very nice. Thank you. A little shout out to the environment. I appreciate that. I think everybody does. Thank you, Rick. And Otto Shell, where are you? I think you're in Germany because you called in on my conference line. And where are you and what time of the day and what are you drinking, Mr. Shell? Yeah, at the moment I'm in, in Germany. Um, I'm in the um, headquarter of the company here in Rüsselsheim. And actually I'm drinking a very hot shot of espresso. And it's more about uh, the cup I'm drinking of. And the cup is um, from Cologne. I'm born in Cologne. And in Cologne, we always find ways to survive. Yeah. So there's for every moment in your life, there's a short speech telling you and then you get happy again. And the cup I'm using is uh, out of the Cologne laws. There are 10 laws which you have to follow. And law number three is saying um, it will come. Whatever happens to you, it always comes back to a good one. And I think this is reflecting the situation we are talking about. I use this cup in, in critical projects, and when I put it on the table, people get relaxed. Well, I like that. People should get relaxed, even if it's a shot of espresso. I appreciate that, Otto. Thank you for joining us again. Bill Newman, hot, hot, hot. I hope you're drinking something cold. Make us happy. What are you drinking, Bill? <laughs> well, I do. I'm with Rick. I do. I do have my cup of uh, Keurig black coffee, and uh, but I have a nice tall glass of ice water. So as we uh, get into it, I'll uh, I'll stay. Uh, I won't get so parched. But um, I was I was just thinking in terms of um, uh, Rick was mentioning uh, um, some of the uh, um, sustainable aspects of our coffee brew habits. Uh, my wife and I have taken to uh, French press, and I we have a very nice. Uh, metal uh, French press that can hold, you know, a few a few cups at a time, and uh, the grounded uh, uh, French press coffee shells actually makes a really nice mulch if you do any type of gardening. Um, we actually have used it uh, around tomato plants and and even um, cherry trees. And so there's a, there's a gardening tip for the audience today. Um, it's good not only for the acidic content for certain plants, but it also helps keep some of the critters away that uh, might try to upend your farm-to-table uh, uh, hopes. So um, there's, there's my little coffee and uh, sustainability tip for the listeners today. I like that. Bill, you brought back memories. I used to live in Eugene, Oregon, way, way, way back decades ago. And uh, my husband and I were mulching our backyard garden. We were renting a house with a big yard. And he said, and this was, we're talking, oh, let's see, early 80s maybe. We're talking about, uh, I thought it was rather avant-garde at the time. Who was talking about sustainability? Who was talking about the environment back then? He was. We we did uh, pole beans and tomatoes. We grew pumpkins. Pumpkins on the front, on the front, on the side of the driveway, and we did everything. We grew everything. But I remember the mulch, and I remember after a while the stuff started to really smell. And he researched it. We didn't have internet then. We didn't have we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that. But he researched it probably with some local gardening people. Plenty of them in Eugene, Oregon, and you probably know that, Bill. And I believe there was some kind of a powder he bought in some kind of a, a container, and we sprinkled it on the mulch, and it killed the um, the decomposition scent. I'll just say that. 
very politely. Yes. And we, we were yes. able to peacefully coincide in the house, not too far from the mulch pile in the back. And, and it was lovely. We grew beautiful vegetables back there. So, Bill Newman, thanks for the memories. And by the way, if anybody's wondering, I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear cup with a green straw because we're looking for sustainability for the automotive industry. And the ultimate bottom line, I think, here is profitability. And that's what this is all about. We're talking today about the automotive customer digitally delivered value. Our series today, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. We are doing a shout out to Larry Stoley at SAP, who's listening on the line. He's the sponsor of this series. And thank you, Larry, for always bringing us great topics and very interesting and well-informed panelists. We're talking today with Rick Varner, Otto Shell, and Bill Newman. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. However you're joining us, stick around. We've got a lot more. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're back. Very interesting conversation. We're moving and grooving. I can use that advisedly. We're here today with Rick Varner, Senior Executive Partner for Gartner, Otto Shell, and I'll just give a short version of his bio, the Global SAP Business Architect at GM General Motors, and Bill Newman, Senior Industry Value Advisor with SAP America. Our topic today, we're talking about the automotive customer digitally delivered value. Very big topic, lot to talk about. How our automotive supply suppliers and manufacturers working together across the entire automotive value chain. We're going to start the roundtable with Mr. Rick Varner, and Rick sent me all ton of notes, and here's where we're going to kick off the conversation. Rick said, automotive suppliers and other Fortune 50 manufacturers are rethinking their technology strategy and, and in an evolving digital industry, there appears to be a more deliberate push to drive better digital threat intelligence through the design to market, market to service, and service to innovation cycles. Mr. Varner, let's expand this, and then we will invite your co-panelists to chime in. Rick, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So those that are dialed into the auto industry and, frankly, any large manufacturing organizations, you know, we've had a longstanding focus around uh, P 
PLM systems, product lifecycle management systems. We've had certainly, in our, with regard to our SAP sponsor, a very deliberate focus on enterprise resource planning systems. And over the last 20, 30 years, you know, these things have sort of evolved, starting as siloed operations. But today, with this focus on digital, with this focus on a 360 view of the business model, what I'm seeing with my, my role here with Gardner is that many clients are beginning to look at how information flows through the life cycle, through the entire life cycle, from idea through launch to the market, through service in the market, and feeding that information back into how we make better products and services going forward. So uh, General, General Electric, for example, not an automotive firm, but certainly a very respectable firm, has a very public mandate out there called Digital Thread. And I think many organizations, General Motors and others, have similar initiatives of looking at how do you follow this life cycle of information through all of the, the disparate systems that are involved, but glean intelligence from that data to help bring things to market quicker, uh, bring them to market less expensively, and more on the mark in terms of what end customers are looking for. And we're seeing, of course, uh, a variety of acronyms thrown out there, Internet of Things and whatnot. But if you think about it, it's all about taking raw data from all these different parts of the life cycle and turning it into actionable information that organizations can act upon and, and improve what they're doing and bringing to market. And so a number of things to talk about in this space, but that, that's the gist of the, uh, the, the shift that's going on today. Very interesting. Is everybody on board with this, Rick? Is this a surprise? People tuning in from automotive, are they saying, wow, I never heard of that. Digital threat intelligence? Wow. Is, is this breaking news or is this something that they've been living with for a while and they know they have to do? You know, I think it's a little bit of a, a bit of a boiled frog syndrome, pardon the expression, where we, we see, uh, you know, we've had a, a longstanding focus with regard to improving each of these individual capabilities but now uh, a very deliberate focus on, as Bill in, mentioned in the introductory remarks, how does it change our business models? How do we begin to uh, drive more value within the organization and for our end customers with this information? So we, we have a wealth of information out there uh, with these product lifecycle management systems, with these enterprise resource planning systems, but now how do we connect them up with a broader business purpose of driving value. And that's where I think that the new opportunities are coming to the table. Uh, the fact that we need to improve, that's not new, but that we're looking at our business models differently, that is new, and that's driving a lot of interesting opportunity in the industry. Thank you very much, Rick. Very interesting topic. Otto Shell at GM, why don't you chime in, please. Thoughts? Yeah, I think the... Um observation is right. I think at, at the end, we are used to produce a hardware, which is called car, and we will produce mm -hmm. in future, which is called mobility. Uh, it may have four wheels and still something where you can steer the wheels from inside, but it's a different purpose of, the, uh, of our production. And what I observe in discussions also in my DSAG role with, 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 on, on these big events is that a lot of people, and I said this in the beginning, are overwhelmed with the challenges we have, and these are completely different challenge. It's about how do we do faster circles, because at the moment, if you have a product life cycle, it's, it's 
four years minimum that you have to to develop what you at the end bring to a start of production. And I, I think when you then have all the new technology coming in, like uh, 3D printing, 3D scanning, all the real-time data you can use, all the way you can do designs in, in studios, we have to find ways to get this shorter. And this overwhelms a lot of people because we, we are really used to work since more than 100 years in different environments. At the end, it's all about uh, our products are still maintained out of X thousand of pieces and they fly with 200 kilometers over the street, yeah, connected or not connected, autonomous or not autonomous. So we have to find a bridge between being faster, using different technology, using different networks, but still have the same mm-hmm. quality in mind um, with, with much, much shorter circles. So I think the observation is completely right. Thank you, Otto. Bill Newman, can't wait to hear what you have to say. Agree, disagree? Well, I think, um, you know, Otto is for sure, Otto, you're one of the great innovators that we see in our business. And I think the opportunities really just begin with the car. And um, so how does a company that's used to building a tangible product with, you know, thousands of parts, when they're able to create information that has no physical um, essence, how do you go about then packaging and modeling that? And we, we have some early examples of that from, you know, Automotive 3.0 with the infotainment systems and some of the um, the safety and uh, radio to the car, if you will, type of, the, of products that and we learned to confederate with law enforcement, um, with um, vehicle safety and other other industries when we did that. Going back to Rick's point, I think the folks in the tech business have been doing this for a very long time. And I think as the as as companies begin to transform so that in the future an auto company really doesn't look like an automobile company, it looks really more something to the order of a of a tech company that actually provides some type of service or product in mobility, yeah, right? Like auto, I think you were referring to. Um, I think that some of the lessons that we'll learn will come probably from the tech um, tech industries and the transportation industries that have had to deal with value creation with a product that has no physical essence and learning to monetize that um, in a way that you know doesn't go back to what the commodity price of aluminum and steel are. So there's how you cost it, how you price it, how you sell it, how you monetize it. How do you capture it on your balance sheet? Those are all things that we've done some work in, but we're about to learn a lot more that we don't know already. And so I think that's really where um, the tipping point's going to come. And and there are a lot of very different ideas about how to go and do that. And um, But again, to I think the point we made in the last segment, at some at some place along the commercialization curve, we have to figure out how to do that in a standard recognized fashion that also resonates with the consumer who's going to buy um, buy these digital assets um, generated from the vehicle, generated from mobility, and um, you know, have value to them and find them useful in their day-to-day lives. Thank you very much, Bill. Rick Varner, I'm going to circle back to you around the other side of the table. Thoughts on what your co-panelists, Otto Schell and Bill Newman, just added to your topic before we move on. Rick? Well, indeed, obviously a pleasure to uh, be with such uh, experts here. You know, Otto's comment around 
faster circuits, uh, you know, the four-year cycle today and how that gets compressed down. Classic manu- design manufacturing is about design intent and producing a product. You know, and, and indeed, we want to bring those products to market more quickly. However, now, with, with this advent of new, more digital data, how can we improve the, di- the, the product more rapidly? Instead of major releases, more, I guess, in, in, in-flight releases. Maybe a little bit difficult and challenging in the physical world when we're talking about physical parts, but to Bill's comment, you know, well, now we're talking about mobility platforms. Mm-hmm. So the expectation is we're going to be seeing software updates and content updates on a much more rapid scale. And, and as these organizations adapt to that different business model, how they sense and respond what's going on with their customers is going to be critically important. Again, this digital thread, this digital flip, I think is uh, just squarely right in the middle of what, uh, where the action's at. So uh, it's a lot of interesting changes, no doubt. Thank you, Rick. You just gave me a perfect segue into some comments I'm looking at in the notes Otto Shell provided me. Otto, a lot of good things to talk about, but Rick just talked about rapid scale, I believe, innovations and improvements and changes. So let's talk about this comment from your list of notes, Otto Shell. You say, just in time will be real time. It doesn't matter if we sell a product equals hardware or the product is a service. We'll need to be, here's the keyword, predictive about consumer demand. We'll need to understand the role of 3D printing, 3D scanning that may disrupt the supply network. Otto, tell us more. This is very exciting. Yeah, so let's focus for a time being on this um, consumer item. So I try to avoid in, in all speeches I doing the word customer because when you have a customer, it's a one-to-one relationship. But the consumer is somebody who consumes different things. He may consume a mobility service, he may consume food, he may consume insurance, and 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 I, I strongly believe when we when we get the the wall breakdown from uh, who are really our consumers, because most of us don't know this at the moment. There's always a middleman between. Maybe it can be a dealer. Maybe it can be a uh, a trader or whatever, but if we get the direct access to those uh, consumers which have a demand, and the demand can be come to from A to B, the demand can be, I'm ill, I need to go to the doctor, or the demand mm-hmm. can be, I'm four years old, my parents are not at home, and they trust on a connected car and an autonomous driving, I don't even need a driver license. So if we get to this kind of consumer demand, then we're going into a world saying, okay, what is really the the automotive of the future? What is really what we can provide? And just a thought, and this is auto shell private thinking. Yeah, I need to make this here because some people may hear. But can you assume an, an OEM is not only reaching out with his car fleet to families and uh, to the to the employees of a company? They reach out to everybody in the network. Um, they can provide services not only on mobility, they can provide service on finance, on insurance, on travel, and, and, and. So that is a complete different spin. Yeah? So most of us are always, uh, not myself, but a lot of people are looking into what is Google doing disruptive to the market. I think with the asset of mobility, you can even look back and say, what can we be disruptive to the market where we can go in and and, uh, make a stake? And that is all about the statement I put in front. I think 
Just in time means uh, that we normally were after the fact, so somebody ordered something and we produced to the point we committed. Going around to be real time means that you be really predictive, that you that you see really what what somebody has in mind. You get it, and before he thinks to order, he has it at his side. Well, wouldn't that be nice? Thank you very much. Very exciting, uh, Bill Newman. You're sitting next to Otto. Love to get your POV here, please. Well, yeah, I think Otto's on the right track. I mean, I, and and a lot of people are talking about this, and and how do they best do it? So whether you're talking about Taking these uh, these assets created by the car, so um, this can be your your drive behavior. So you know, we talk about insurance, but it could also be where do you drive to. So maybe instead of um, to Otto's point, maybe instead of me, you know, driving down to Indianapolis uh, during the week, you know, I get a coupon to take the shuttle flight from Detroit Metro down to Indy. Um, these things just end up coming into your box, and because we understand your behavior, we can begin to predict what different um, products, services, um, offers could be provided to you. Now, we have, you know, in, in digital marketing, we've had, we've, we've been able to position um, offers to consumers in many different industries for a very long time, probably 5, 10, 15 years, even going back to the early days of email marketing. But but coming back to some of the things that, that Rick, you were also saying earlier, being able to harvest all of that information and go into, you know, one, two, three-step channel connections, you know, knowing about the products that I'm using, knowing um, how I'm using them, knowing where I've been with them, knowing uh, what my behavior is when I use them, this really opens up a vast new set of opportunities where, um you know, back to Otto, your point, you know, really the, the, the car company becomes no mobility. Now, now the point that is going to be very interesting is, is that a lot of that content's being generated by parts that the suppliers are making, right? So you've got, we talked in the, one of our previous episodes about the connected vehicle and the connected platform. Um, how, how that gets commercialized, monetized, licensed, royalties, in many ways, like the music business, where if I create content and you play my content or you download it or you listen to it uh, on a stream that, you know, I get a share, but it's really a, a micro royalty. We're going to start to move into that pretty quickly now with some of these non-physical digital assets that are being created by the, by the vehicle platform. And we have to figure out how to share the wealth to the supplier community. And, and that's going to be a, a hard nut to crack. You know, you've got one point of view where the OEM says the branded vehicle is mine, so, you know, you've provided all your content up to the platform, so what I do with it is now mine. I think suppliers are going to have a stronger hand at the table deciding how, how that royalty share happens in the future. Thank you, Bill. Rick Varner, can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah, there's some some good stuff here in this discussion here, Bonnie. You know, this mm-hmm. <clears throat> just came off this point here about, um, well, I guess where Otto started around the just in time and real time. You know, I would uh, I would morph the conversation a little bit and just talk about agility. And, and Bill was just speaking this a little bit about sensing and responding, understanding patterns, bringing new content to uh, the end uh, consumer. And I like Otto's uh, clarification of that. That's that's right on. Mon- right, that's spot on. 
But you know, what I would do is I would look back into the organization. So we've talked so far about the end consumer and the things that they should experience and demand from their, their content slash service providers. Now look deeper into those organizations that are charged with providing that, that are charged with being agile, being more accurate with the things that they do provide, you know, the OEMs and the suppliers. This, this notion of bringing it to market quicker, faster, and in a more agile manner is going to completely disrupt how business is done internally today. The end expectation is to be responsive, but think about that value chain within the organization of looking at that big data, looking at those analytics and say, aha, we have an opportunity here to respond differently, but then to take that decision, take that insight and quickly drive it into an action, drive it into new content, get that content released and out with that end consumer. That to me is the, is the exciting part about this digital flip, this digital threat I was speaking about earlier. It's about completely retooling the internal business processes and, um, now, there's a lot of challenge out there, but I think a tremendous amount of opportunity for those that are willing to dig in. Thank you very much. Otto Shell, circling back to you to finish out this topic. I'm ready to go somewhere a little bit different with Bill Newman, but your thoughts on this, Otto? Well, I think we are pretty much aligned that we have a disruptive change here. And I uh, just want to add that uh, we have to trust machine to machine. So a lot of things where we at the moment do transactions, we can run Machine player, consider machine-to-machine playing chess, giving them rules in, in supply chain, in purchasing or whatever. That is something we need to go. And, of course, we have to take the glass half full. You know this, Bonnie, that I'm always a half full glass, but we still have to mm-hmm. discuss about round, what does it mean for from an IP intellectual property perspective and how we run the quality spill. But at the end of the day, uh, we as humans have to trust and also in machines doing some stuff for us and make our life a little bit easier in decision-making. That's hard for some people. We know that. I think that's a whole other topic. We'll have to go knock, knock, knock on Larry Soli's door and say, Larry, IP, humans trusting machines. we got to talk about that. Larry, just got your next topic. Uh, Bill, you can tell him. Anyway, Bill Newman, I'm looking at your notes. Let's talk about connectivity. Uh, I don't think we covered this yet, Bill. You say different OEMs are approaching connectivity and the talent required to connect platforms. That word talent in this context intrigues me, Bill. In a different manner, forming a spectrum on the one side by the intellectual capital, and you're talking about, uh, well, I'll let you talk about the case studies there. From that to develop our own, to even wait and see. Auto suppliers want to move to digital live businesses, but they're increasingly looking to the automotive OEMs for leadership. Are they finding that leadership? Bill, talk to us. Well, I, I think that you can see it play out in, in, in the morning paper. If you pick up the Wall Street Journal or the L.A. Times or the New York Times or Chicago Tribune, and, and I think that there is a certain share, um, depending upon the OEM supplier position, um, based on what a company needs and how they want to acquire the talent. So, you know, in the supplier space, They've had to figure out how to collaborate with with a number of um, you know down tier suppliers for a very very long time, and to the point now where many companies and we talked about it in one of our previous episodes. So, for example, um, Delphi has had you know this is public domain information has had to have 
Um, you know, they want to do vehicle to everything, and they want to have a very connected platform in terms of how they deliver um, information and services to the instrument panel of a car and in the traditional vehicle model that we have today. And they're going downstream and they're acquiring companies, uh, fiber optic cable companies, information broking companies, so that they can build out their platforms. Um, when we go a little further upstream to the OEM brand level, um, I, I think that there's a question of does the talent that we want to, that we believe we need, or maybe that we recognize we don't have, but we believe we'll need, uh, will come from inside our four walls because we're we're smart guys and gals and we can figure this out given enough time. Or are we going to go proactively on a hunt for something that we're not quite sure that we need yet or we don't exactly know what we're looking for? Uh, because, you know, again, technology is moving so quickly, we have to commercialize something in five to ten years that doesn't exist today. Or are we going to kind of be somewhere in the middle and we're going to kind of go back to, you know, the old skunk work days of the old defense programs in the Cold War where we're just going to, um, we're going to confederate within our current supply chains and value and value create that way uh, based on a certain set of parameters on where we think the market is um, going tomorrow and where it is today. And it's really interesting to watch how this is all played out. You, you've got uh, you've got a real uptick in M and A activity, um, particularly in the last twelve to eighteen months. It's ebbing a little bit now because we're in a more tapered growth market. But um, you do see some companies, including very large global OEM brand companies, that are really taking a wait and see, or they're sitting on the sidelines right now before really committing to any form of semi-autonomous connected vehicle research or into new business models. And I think that the ones that, um, you know, have waded into the pool and are at least knee-deep have a really good opportunity to be way out ahead in a in perhaps a logarithmic curve moving forward than those who are kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to put the toe in the water. So um, I'll just leave it at that right now and see if the other, see if Rick and Otto have anything to comment on. Thank you, Bill. Toe in the water. I bet that's what you're going to do right after the show with 100-degree temperatures out there, but I digress. Rick Varner, you're sitting next to Bill at the table. What do you see? You know, uh, Bill brings up some interesting points here. This this notion of um, of buying it, developing it, or a wait and see. You know, for me, what the thought that goes through my mind on that is if you can figure out a way to monetize it, you'll jump in and, and, and get on with it. If 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 it's really uh, uh, if it, if it's part of the delivery, then then it's about managing the cost cost optimization to deliver. So I think it, I, let me restate that: if it's a revenue generating uh, capability, you want to leverage that and run with it. But if it's a table uh, stakes to deliver the capability, then it's less about uh, a leverage and more about managing the cost and optimizing the cost structure to deliver the capability. So I, I think. There's some uncertainty certainly in that space, but Bill's right. Those that are that are waiting in and waiting in early have an opportunity to define that business model, to define, you know, can it be monetized or is it simply a cost to be managed? And, you know, the jury's still out on a lot of these capabilities. Um, the comments around Delphi are very interesting. Their business strategy is, as you said, Bill, is public domain, but very exciting. I think they're taking a very proactive bullish view of this trend and what they can do and certainly their competitors 
what they can do to, to capture as much of that value chain as possible, not just for the core products, but the services that get attached to them as well. So uh, interesting component. My last comment on this, and I don't want to get into this too deep, but I would make a note. Every time we talk about talent, we open up that whole other topic around the millennials and you know, mm-hmm. what kind of talent you're trying to attract and, attract and retain. And I would say that for my clients, that is equally a part of the equation as well. Getting the right talent and keeping that right talent engaged is uh, certainly a, a challenge. Rick, just before I, I ask Otto to, join, Otto to join us, I get Otto and Otto confused. Excuse me, Mr. Shell. Um, question, is this an industry that is hot in terms of drawing millennial talent? Is this something with driverless cars coming and the question of, well, the sharing economy is already here and will they really need to save their shekels, if you will, for, for that fancy schmancy sports car or can they just share it or rent it for two hours and take it for a ride and put it back in its common garage? Is this a hot area for millennials? Rick? Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm not a millennial, Bonnie, but from what I understand, <laughs> uh, indeed, uh, it is, and, and not just on the consumer side, but certainly on the, uh, on the talent employee side. That's uh, what I was meaning, yes. You know, but the nexus here is, is no longer simply Detroit, although Detroit, you know, still driving a lot of this. We're seeing a lot of interesting opportunity on the West Coast where people, as Bill mentioned, you know, what, what's Google doing? What's you know, Apple going to do? And that's driving a lot of draw of talent uh, and interest uh, across all age spectrums uh, as far as what's going to happen and, and what kind of talent pool they're going to draw from to, to actually execute. So, uh, yes, I, definitely a very exciting uh, and, and current topic for all age Thank groups. You. Thank you. I like that. And Otto Shell, now please join us. Thoughts on what Bill started a couple of minutes ago and Rick has already added to. What are your thoughts? Yeah, let's start with the skills. So I, I, I strongly believe we need to change thinking, no doubt. No? So up to now, we take data to give evidence to our hypothesis. In future, we need to get data for creating a new business. That's a completely different set. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that we are looking for one or two new skills. I think the way we have to educate and to, to build our people is more dimensional skill sets. That is something which is very critical. All what we do at the moment is building them to one skill set, and it just will not work in future. So skill set is very, very important. But what is also important, and that goes to another point uh, was said by Bill, is cooperation. If you really predict ourselves in, in 2030 or 35, and we have autonomous driving, we have different brands on the street, they don't talk at the moment to each other, but at this time they need to talk to each other. And I think it's very important that we now start this cooperation. Where does the journey go? How do we get our environment started up? And we had to show on this. So when I see the big elections going on at the moment around the world, and I would say that they don't do anything in the next five years they are elected, it is losing time. So we need to get much more open on this. How do we really go in this new world? What does it mean not only from a production point of view, but also from a social point of view. And again, back coming to the skills at the moment, the only thing what I wish is, is really to get people into a free thinking without borders and then to see what we get out of this. Thank you, Otto. I have a feeling we unofficially just started our predictions round, our crystal ball. But, Bill, I want you to officially, officially finish the topic you started. We are in the predictions round now. Bill, why don't we just ask you for your predictions as a wrap-up to your topic? What do you think? What do you see? Do you like 2020 or what year do you like? 
Well, it seems to be somewhere between 2020 and 2030. I think in 2020, we're going to see a little bit of a, a, a flat line and a more consolidation of the base. So if you look at uh, Roland Berger or IHS or some of the predictions, I think there's some market forces that need to sort themselves out. Um, so that's on the that's on market side. I think the technology side, you know, we're already into semi-autonomous vehicles. You know, you buy a car now and it, it yells at you when you divert from one lane to the other. I know our friend Larry Stoley can't stand those cars. So I'm just representing Larry because he's not here today. Um, you know, and they, they But he's listening. Yeah, I know yes. he's listening and he's laughing right now. So, But, you know, so they do some override things already. Um, I think getting to a place, though, where, Otto, you were talking about where we've got um, cars that really resemble more of the pod mobility almost as an alternative to, you know, transportation, light rail, those kinds of things. We're probably looking at 2030, I'm thinking, in terms of some, you know, systemic systemic accommodations where, you know, lanes on freeways narrow and you've got you know lanes for autonomous pods and, you know, you've got the rest of us. Poor, poor people who are trying to drive in the regular lanes. So all that's coming. I, I think that, that really the convergence is going to happen between now and 2030. Um, but coming back to it, you know, uh, to the topic of today, how do you, you know, how do you commercialize? How do you monetize? How do you make sure that the value chain is supported? And I think those business models are going to look very, very differently in another 15, 20 years. 15, 20 years, that's a long way out. Rick Varner, I'm going to circle around the table and give you your full, let's see, I can give you a whole minute for your predictions. First of all, what time frame are we looking at, Rick, and what do you predict will change significantly from where we are today to that point in the future? Go ahead, Rick. Bonnie, I, I'm uh, the eternal optimist here. It's not uh, 15, 20 years, although uh, many of the changes I'm sure will take that long. I'm thinking really closer to the, the 5 to 10 we're going to see just a tremendous flip to digital capabilities, the things I talked about earlier around big data, mobility. Otto mentioned earlier about 3D printing. and They're, they're with us today, and they're already making an impact. And uh, certainly in the auto sector, other than the consolidation that Bill referenced, which I do agree with, uh, I think we're going to see a tremendous um, um, number of new digital insights that are going to come, new evolving business models and, uh, you know, new abilities to monetize that we wouldn't, can't even think of today. So really an exciting time. Uh, I think back to where I started the conversation, those that embrace the future, those that try to create their future, they're going to be in the driver's seat. And uh, now is the time for bold leadership. So my prediction of the future is very positive, very optimistic, and those that act, they're going to they're gonna take the spoils. Okay, well, I think a lot of companies definitely want that. And let's officially, Auto Shell, it's time for your official, I can give you about 45 seconds, your official prediction. Mr. Shell, go ahead. Yeah, I'm also as positive as my, my co-speaker. So I, I predict a more healthy world when we all work closely together. Why I'm so positive? In the last couple of years, a lot of new players came to the market, and those players have no political background. So they just want to make business. And when we all make business, we are getting in a healthful world. But games will change. Yeah? When you see what uh, Google, uh, what Microsoft just acquired with LinkedIn, and when mm -hmm. you see how much government will invest in IoT, games is changing. Other players will get in, and that makes me more positive. 
I like it when Auto Shell is positive. That means more good music coming from the car. Rick Varner, Senior Executive Partner for Gartner. Thank you, Rick, for joining us. Don't wait so long to come back. Auto Shell, member of the member of the Board of Directors responsible for industry solutions, digital transformation at the German-speaking SAP Users Group and Global SAP Business Architect at GM. That's a big business card, Auto Shell. And Bill Newman, Senior Industry Value Advisor with SAP America and Larry Stoley at SAP. Thank you all for a wonderful conversation. We had so many tweeters, many too many to mention, but if you want to see the conversation captured on Twitter, just go to hashtag SAP Radio or the handle at SAP Radio, all one word. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll see you tomorrow for another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be talking about a hot topic for every industry, social selling. You don't want to miss this. Kirsten Boyleau and Mario Martinez, Jr., and we'll have Barbara Giamanco from Social Selling coming back. Great conversation. So shout out to Justin, our engineer, and here we go with our with our, with our seatbelt. Here we go with my call to action. It's so perfect for the show. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Be safe. Drive well. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.